Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Back after taking a rare sick day. This time I was actually sick. When was the last time? Can you guys think of a time I was actually sick since you guys have worked with me on this show? Dude, you're digging your own grave right there. No, I mean actually sick. Oh. Not like I'm in a hospital with heart palpitations because I drank 7,000 gallons of caffeine. I mean, like actually actually sick. It's been a while since I've taken a sick day. I think that's true. Yeah. So um, just a, a bit of the, uh, as Scotty used to say on the Enterprise, a bit of a weeb out uh, of uh, stomach bug. But I think we're back. We're good. Thank you, gentlemen, for filling in for me yesterday. Appreciate you doing that. 888-900-3393 is the number if you want to be a part of our program here on The Blaze. That's steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. For those of you just getting the audio portion of the program today, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We have a lot to get to. We've got three non-political questions coming up a little bit later on. Uh, we've got uh, Theology Thursday coming your way. We're going to finish our series on five dumb things otherwise smart people believe about uh, Christianity, but uh, kind of faith and religion in general. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a discussion uh, about a new book talking about what real manhood means and why it's needed in America right now as much as ever before. So we'll get to all of that and more. But first, we begin with Aaron letting us know about what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a very bad look, to say the least. Former U.S. attorney and current labor secretary Alex Acosta is facing some stiff scrutiny for the role he played in letting now newly accused pedophile Jeffrey Epstein off the hook for all intents and purposes over a decade ago after he was charged with crimes related to the solicitation of prostitution of children. A newly uncovered letter at the time from Acosta's then assistant U.S. attorney, A. Marie Villafana, to Epstein's legal team pointed out that her office, along with Acosta, quote, bent over backwards to essentially help Epstein. Acosta, now the labor secretary, defended himself yesterday. We believe that we proceeded appropriately, that based on the evidence, and not just my opinion, but I've shared the affidavit, based on the evidence, there was value to getting a guilty plea and having him register. Look, no regrets is a very hard question. Moving on, the FBI has made several arrests of Puerto Rican government officials after an investigation into alleged corruption. The investigation alleges government officials steered federal dollars to politically connected business interests. President Trump may end up putting the citizenship question back on the U.S. Census. After all, according to reports, this comes after Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, along with a handful of other lawmakers, signed a letter urging the president to do so. And now, soccer. Ron, I'm you sorry, have we to. have to do this. This is Ron. for your own good. I Open will your bite mouth. you. Ron. Open your mouth. Ron. Listen, oh, get, grab Ron. this mustache. Ron. Open your mouth. Ron. Get his chest Open your mouth. His shoulders. The U.S. women's national team just keeps on providing content. Most of all, Megan Rapino. What do you have to I say? Deserve this. What do you deserve? I deserve you deserve all of it. Everything. You deserve this. She belongs. Nothing that can phase this group. We're chilling. We got tea sipping. We got celebrations. 
We have pink hair and purple hair. We have tattoos and dreadlocks. We got white girls and black girls and everything in between. Straight girls and gay girls. Hey, New York City, you're the A popular battle cry amongst some supporters of the U.S. women's national team is that they are, in fact, better than the men's team. This would probably be a good time to remind you that the U.S. women's national team actually lost to a bunch of 14-year-old boys from Dallas back in 2017 in a scrimmage. Could you imagine having sleepy Joe Biden or Alfred Newman or a very nervous and skinny version of Pocahontas, 1,024th, as your president rather than what you have now? So great-looking and smart. A true stable genius? Sorry to say that even social media would be driven out of business along with, and finally, the fake news media. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez spoke to the Washington Post recently about her ongoing feud with Nancy Pelosi. She said, quote, When these comments first started, I kind of thought that she was keeping the progressive flank at more of an arm's distance in order to protect more moderate members, which I understood, but the persistent singling out, it got to a point where it was just outright disrespectful. The explicit singling out of newly elected women of color. And finally, add snake wrangling to the long list of things that your local Chick-fil-A provides. This video, which surfaced recently, was shot probably in Florida, but who knows. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Real Estate Agents I Trust, a company that was started because there's so much frustration when it comes to buying or selling a home. No urgency, no return phone calls, no real marketing. And the answer is always, let's have another open house. You know when I knew I had the right real estate agent? when I went through this 13 years ago, when he told me, because we were selling on one end and buying on the other, and he said, I, I don't move any homes through open houses. It's, it, agents do that because they're lazy. All right, we're going to actually sell your home, not just put up a sign, come see it on your own when it's convenient for you. Right, you're looking for an agent like that. You're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust. Uh, somebody with a track record of being successful in the real estate market. Somebody who uh, you have a rapport with because this is such a relational process between you and them that if that rapport is not there, the odds it will be successful are diminished all the more. And then, you know, somebody that that gets the, the, the technology. I mean, we've got algorithms, data, things we didn't have before, right? But I can just tell you because I'm a data-driven guy and what I do in sports handicapping or political handicapping, you've got to always look a, a really good handicapper understands that data, you can't win without data, but you can't win only with it either because all algorithms have outliers, right? You know, you're selling a, you're selling a home, not a formula. So do they understand that? Uh, do they not spare the details? That You're looking for all three of those things in your next real estate agent, and that's why you want to look for them on the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, let's get to what's in Aaron's uh, montage. Can I ask and, a question yes. about Chick-fil-A? Yeah. You know, the snakes, uh, like a couple of weeks ago, like dude just jumped through the window and saved somebody. Is this yeah. like the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in real life, Chick-fil-A? I, uh, it's, <laughs> I, I want to know what their orientation program is yeah. like for their new employees. Yeah. I mean, do they do CrossFit, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> What do you got to do to work there? You know, I mean, um, you know, I mean, do you have to pass a, you know, a, a certain level of altruism? Uh, do you have to have, uh, you know, basic naval Navy SEAL work? I mean, what what does it take to work you know at what? a Chick Fil A? Actually, I got booked for next Tuesday. Former CEO wrote a book about uh, Chick. Oh, their former so CEO. So we will ask him. Okay, but I, I would like to ask him. I mean, how how what what goes into the training? 
you know, uh, to work at, at your restaurant? Because, I mean, you guys are performing superhuman feats here, uh, it, it seems, on a regular basis. Um, the Let's start with Alex Acosta. And he, um, first of all, just just stay away from people named Acosta. I think, have we learned that here in the Trump era? Seconded. Okay. Just people named Acosta are bad. There's nobody named Acosta working at the Blaze, right? <laughs> Should have thought of that first. All right, except for the, if we have somebody, uh, last name Acosta working here at the Blaze, we don't mean you. Well, you know what you've said in the past about the, is God trolling us with names like Cinema and what was the other one? Do you know what it means to accost somebody? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty good. I had a friend in college. I can't remember his, maybe his name was Joe. And he had this life rule that he didn't trust anybody with two first names. All right. So like um, uh, the guy who was on um, Home Improvement, who am I thinking of? Uh, Tim, Tim uh, Allen. Tim Allen, right? Oh, you can trust Tim so, Allen. So we wouldn't trust Tim Allen. Wouldn't trust him. Two first names. If you have- He's Hydra? Tim Allen is Hydra? <laughs> he, that was like one of his life rules. He wouldn't trust anybody with two first names. I hadn't thought about that in I don't know how many years. But I just at this point- you know, if someone, if, if you're hiring and you get a resume and the last name is Acosta, just do that real life version of that uh, Homer Simpson gif where he just kind of quietly backs away into the bushes <laughs> and back into hiding. You didn't see it. All right. And you can tell he's in trouble too, because you had the, in Aaron's montage, there was a report from the Daily Caller. There's several conservative media outlets today that are calling him into question. Um, you have the, the Heritage Foundation has an article out today about his handling uh, of uh, what happened with Jeffrey Epstein when he was with the Bush Department of Justice back in 08 when they created this sweetheart deal for for the alleged, um, uh, uh, I guess, sex trafficker. And, and now there's a story out that over the course of the last eight years, he didn't do one single check-in with the New York Police Department as part of his plea agreement. Not a single one. So he was given a, a a sweetheart deal, and then do and then did not perform one check in with NYPD as was directed by said sweetheart deal. Does this tell you a that this is just how government and bureaucracies work, and things always fall through uh, the cracks because people really don't care, or b that there's really a lot. Behind See, this thing that people are just kind of saying the ladder, the ladder. That's, it's yeah, the ladder. That's exactly I my. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. it, it could be it could be the former Todd, but when applying Occam's razor to this, and we're just finding out about this, it certainly seems like it's it certainly seems like. It's I, I think I. Let's just stop there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just wanted I, to ask. I think this is this story is going to end very badly. Yes. Agreed. Okay. Um. But the fact that you've got a lot of these conservative, several of these conservative outlets now, either either the either they're getting leaked stuff from the administration setting the stage for um, trying to force Mr. Acosta to issue a resignation letter uh, because every day he remains on the job, he's damaging Trump, who's had a really good week overall. I don't know what that tweet was in the montage. Maybe laugh out loud. Oh, that was just. That was part of a Twitter thread right there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. He was trolling I, again about still being president in yeah, like 2030. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm hoping it's trolling. Actually, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping it is. In fact, that's, that's our official 
that's going to be the official explanation. We're just going to go with that because any alternatives to that are. That's a good yard sign. I'm hoping it's trolling. <laughs> any alternatives to it not being trolling are also places I'd prefer not to go. Uh, but um, I think either that's happening or you've got uh, people in conservative media concerned about the damage he's doing by remaining on the job, particularly Secretary of Labor. There's, there's you know, 70 million people who could do that gig. Okay, so so either the Trump administration is trying to is, is leaking to some friendly sources to try to send a message to Mr. Acosta, you should not force the president to have to fire you. All right. Do the, you know, do the right thing here and take the hemlock. Uh, or the uh, you've got friendly to Trump media trying to get the administration's attention and saying, hey, you need to get you need to this guy's dead weight. And uh, there's a bus out in front of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Throw him underneath it post haste. One of those two things is happening. Okay. Both of those instincts, regardless of which one it would, would be though, hundred percent correct. Um, the FBI arrest of the Puerto Rican officials, Covington Catholic, just, just, we get, we, how many of these have we seen? These instant outrages, Russian collusion, these instant outrages that we are subjected to. Have any of these turned out to be right? Have, I mean, everything you saw with the San Juan mayor, whatever her name was, I think she was on CNN more than a Malaysian airliner for like six months. Right? We had Alex Cora, the head of, uh, the manager of the World Series champion, Boston Red Sox, who's Puerto Rican, not go to the White House a couple of months ago in protest to uh, the, in, the perceived insensitivities. Uh, of the administration towards the, uh, the the disaster in Puerto Rico last year. All a scam. Just, just all a scam. None of that's true. Just a complete and total lie. And what is far more likely true is that you had corrupt local officials there um, trying to capitalize on certain demographics' uh, hatred of the president in order to cover up um, their own con, their own scam. I mean, how many of these have we seen? It's been That's like a machine right gun. With how e- many of these we've seen with soccer and equal pay? It's the yeah, same we're gonna thing. To, we're going to get that in a second. Yeah. But it's it's. I mean, the first Terminator movie came out in 1984. Linda Hamilton was the badass female lead of that film. She's the badass female lead of Terminator Two when it came out in 1991. I believe it was the third or fourth Terminator movie. The Terminator was actually a female Terminator, correct? Yes, and we right. are. That's well over a decade ago. Yeah, that was well over. I think it came out like in 03 or 04 is when that movie came out. Why do I bring this up? Because IndieWire, um, Slash Film, um, you've had several of these you know, movie fanboy sites running stories about how conservative America just can't handle the fact that the next female Terminator or, or the next Terminator is a female and the new and the director of the next Terminator film has a message for you. And it's literally F you. This movie's had badass female leads for 35 years for 35 years in 1984. When Duran Duran's reflex was number one, it had a, it had a, a badass female lead. When my Detroit Tigers were starting 21 and 4, 35 and 5, and winning the World Series, 
it had a badass female lead. This is fake. It's it's BET running an article about the next aer- the the Ariel and the live action um, Little Mermaid is going to be some black Broadway performer or uh, I don't know anything about her. And white America just can't handle it. They had twelve Twitter accounts in their article. Three of them belong to anonymous Twitter eggs, and the other nine all had like three hundred followers or less. Because that's what we sit around and do. I, I'm, I've lived in white America my entire life. I can promise you we've never debated what's the proper melatonin of mermaids. What about where you hang out? Do you oh. debate that in Wisconsin? Well, I d- all I can remember is how much white America hated Black Panther. You know, just right. lo- lo- nobody went. Right. Just hated right. it. I mean, all these fake outrage stories, they're, they're just all, none of them are true. None of them are. And, they're, and they rank anywhere from either a cynical attempt to just get clicks off of, just get hate clicks, you know? I mean, and, and, I can, and, and there's plenty of that on the right going on, too. I mean, when you got a, a Republican Congress that has kept, like, none of its promises for the last few years, except on judicial nominees, and they didn't keep any of the other ones, you know, you're looking for hate click. So in between judicial nomination fights, you got to have content. You can't stop being a conservative media outlet. And so a lot of it is just hate click stuff on the other side. And that's what's going on on both ends. So it's either, it, it ranks anywhere from a cynical attempt to do that, which, you know, that's capitalism, hate the game, not the player, to let's just see how much more we can try and provoke and stoke the fires of civil war and foment division in America, intentionally, one, one or the other. I'll go with the latter. It could be, and, and it's probably a little bit of both, you know. Um, as Sting once said, the Russians love their children too. Leftists love their money too. Okay, let's not forget that. They love a nice their Sting too. reference, especially like since he's a little under the weather, had is to cancel he? his tour. I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know he was actually still in the league. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's still around? He's, he's one of okay. the most pound for pound, most underrated musicians. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. Is Sting yeah. the one who did uh, Winds of Change, or was that Scorpions? That's Scorpions. Okay. <laughs> Sting is the one. <laughs> what? On a related note, I'm taking another sick day. That's Scorpions. <laughs> Sting and Scorpions. I don't. I mean, other than Scorpion Sting, you the, the music styles literally have nothing in common. Uh, that was oh. great. Nothing. Great. Scorpions were a hair metal hey. band. With Winds of Change was their most popular song. A post yeah. uh, Berlin Wall falling down power ballad. And you know, Sting is actually a classically trained musician. Yeah. I'm. I guess I owe you an apology. Or something. No, thank you. I don't apologize. Thank you for that. You might know Sting as the guy who's saying, I want my MTV uh, Harmony and the uh, Money for Nothing song. Okay. That guy. Literally the only uh, good song that Dire Straits did. I'm sorry. I've totally derailed this. Yes, you should move on to something uplifting like Megan Rapinoe. We will. Let's move move on. I I don't know about you guys, but I really wish we knew where Michael Sam was right now. I am wistfully pining away for the days where every outlet shoved a future seventh-round draft pick who was out of the NFL after two years down our throats because of his sexuality. This thing with, with Megan Rapinoe, I, I've, I've never seen in my career someone who, without any reward, was going as, as much out of their way to alienate a wide swath of Americans as much as absolutely possible. I've, I've never seen it. 
politicians do this all the time. We just talked about it, right? You know, there's, there's, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're a leftist, you want people like me ripping you and you're going to share that with your audience. You're going to, you know, we, one of our famous favorite sayings on this show is make all the right enemies, right? We, we, we want the think progresses of the world to be offended by what we're doing. They're the target, right? That's the intent. I mean, that's, they're the intended target, but, but this is not that kind of a binary environment. This, this ought to be an environment that transcends some of, a lot of those binary things. I mean, I think I told you earlier this week, the last time I wasn't paid to watch a soccer game, because I used to get paid to watch them all the time. I was a beat writer. The last time I, got, I, I, I watched a soccer game without being paid for it was in 1998-99, the Brandy Chastain game. 99. Yeah, where they beat China, I think yeah, it was. They're called the 99ers. Yep, you know, and I, when, when they won at the end of that game and, and she ripped off her shirt in celebration, and there's, you know, I think, I seem to remember, I think President Clinton was sitting there in the box at the game cheering on. Is that on. the Rose Bowl? Yeah, because it was here in the States, right? I mean, I'm, sitting, I'm standing up in my apartment cheering with the same President Clinton that I'm advocating his impeachment at the time. All right. I mean, that was a transcendent event. Yeah. And this has been an alienating one. Yeah. And unintentionally so. Um, or, I mean, unnecessarily so. Yeah. Now, I, I think say. it could very well be intentional. Yeah. This, if, if, if she, this is her last run on the team, right? She's pretty much aged out at this point, 33 well, years old. I would say probably. Probably. 37 years old for four years from now would be pretty old. Right? Yes. Okay. It's not impossible, but it's like if I were a twenty-four or twenty-five year old member of that team, I'd be livid with how much she has made this all about her. Oh, they don't understand. You're right, but they don't. And, and and her particular narrowly crafted belief system, because what it what it's doing, what's happening right now is your opportunities are being limited by what how she's behaving. But do you think like that when you're in the middle of your no. drunken college orgy and no. you're, are you thinking about the job? No, you interview? don't. You don't? That's no. who they are. But this is, and, this and, is a and drunken frankly, college orgy. And frankly, at 24, 25, they've been conditioned to actually incentivize her. Correct. Who should be old enough to know better, to realize that she's supposed to be the steward of a game here and pass it on. But right? she's a cult leader. Yeah, she's and a I cult mean leader. It. That's the difference between her and a Martina Navratilova. You know, I, I'm a, I, I, at times in my life, usually if there's a compelling storyline like Nadal and... Uh, you know, versus um, uh, at, you know, at the French Open when he's dominating there, okay, uh, or watching a Pete Sampras go for uh, you know, uh, the most singles titles. I've been a huge tennis fan at times in my life, okay, and Martina Navratilova used her her athletic prowess after her playing days to be an advocate for her sexuality and her belief system. What's happening here is you're being told that you really aren't supposed to be rooting for them unless you accept the belief systems they want to shove down your throat right now. And, and, and she's reinforcing this with, let me go on Rachel Maddow and, and, and that whole shtick. So there's only one way that this is successful, in my view. You guys can tell me if I'm wrong. The only way this is successful is if, what I used to somewhat tongue in cheek, but not entirely say about this sport for years is true. That at a, at a global level, at an elite level, the intent of this sport is to be a leisure arm of leftist progressive globalism and to condition Americans to accept that. And that it, it, it's an intentional mouthpiece. It's an intentional platform 
for this. If that's the case, then she's doing great. Who is the who is the white German boxer that beat Joe Lewis eons ago? Was I'm thinking of Max Shrek or Shrek or something like that? Okay, Shank seems okay. She's a reverse Jesse Owens. Maybe that's a better analogy. Okay, Jesse Owens in reverse. She represents the left America. She represents the the invading armada, and the whole I'm Rosie. What if Rosie O'Donnell played soccer shtick? Yeah, is perfect because it's working on that level. She is she is an icon for a foreign culture and a foreign government. But if this is about broadening success and access and and popularity of women's soccer in the United States, this is the absolute worst tactic to take. Now, if you're not interested in the United States, but if you're interested in the left America states, then I mean, dial this puppy up to 14. Keep going. I mean, you'll make it that uh, you're, you, I mean, they'll be calling you out of the bully, you know, to do Rachel Maddow spots in your 50s, long after you're gone. All right. Um, but if the goal is to broaden the, the popularity of the sport amongst the United States, I, I think this is a terrible tactic to take. Oh, of course it's terrible. It's a bit of a hybrid of what you're talking about. I mean, it, I, it's, one, it, it's one of your best long running jokes. Uh, and I appreciate it even as a soccer fan, but that it's actually been an age. If certainly for women, soccer is an agent of true liberty for women across the world and having uh, uh, opportunities. But it is it is going to be uniquely that uh, here in uh, America, you 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 not only have uh, it mandated that these uniforms have the rainbows on the U.S. women's national team Twitter feed is is just full on uh, uh, gay pride, um, rainbow jihad. But uh, there's been uh, columns written for quite some time about a, a, a girl who might be one of the best defenders in the entire world named Janelle Hinkle, who is a uh, Christian and refused to wear the rainbow jersey. I remember and, that story, And she yeah. has been, she has tried out with the U.S. national team, but she's been cut uh, every single time. And Jill Ellis, the head coach, is gay. Uh, the leaders on this team... The most vocal. The so most this is all intentional. Leaders. Then, so it's yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. it's all intentional, but increasingly so in a first world issue. Now, how now does it does it bounce back? Does it boomerang back? And then it could still become what you're talking about at a world level. But I, it wasn't. So they don't want me to root for them. And here's what I mean by that: it, it, they don't want they don't want me to see them as excellent soccer players. They want to evangelize me into their pagan religion. Meaning that, you know, if they wanted to go out there and wear burqas and dominated the dominated the rest of the world and waved the American flag and and loved America, I'd be like, Team USA, man, all mm-hmm. the way. Okay. But if they told me I had to say there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger, or I couldn't root for the team, well, the team's just not that important to me. Yeah, but have a nice life. It's the latter here. Well, you right? saw what Rapino said about well, we will we'll go talk to anybody in DC who thinks like we think. Yes, yes. So this is, so this, so this is, I'm, I have to agree with your pagan religion or there's no No. room at the end for me. Okay. It's it's really a bad form of evangelization uh, or evangelism, I should say, because this is really grating as you heard in those three clips and there's lots more that we played uh, a couple yesterday. It's really grating. It is grating. not evan, that's not good evangelism. I mean, the idea that they they are trying to do that, this is not going to work. This is not going to turn out the way you think it's going to. Unless you are intending to infiltrate and invade. If that's the intention, if you're an arm of that 
of that, then okay. That also means then you're not for me. Rooting for you would be like rooting for the Russians, another foreign government. I wouldn't do that. You're not Americans. You see, you don't see yourselves as part of the United States. You see yourself as part of a, another country that's more enlightened and progressive and better and, and needs to convince the rest of, the, uh, of what's on this continent to, be forcefully, to uh, be forcefully converted for your own good, of course, um, you know, uh, to their way of thinking. If that's the case, then, I mean, you can shove your soccer up your ass. I'm not interested in that. But, you know, congrats on your, uh, your, your, your gold slipper or whatever the hell it is anyway. Hey, if you are looking to uh, get healthier in your lifestyle, uh, it gets harder and harder to, to do that nowadays. It's just not as convenient uh, as it used to be. That's where Field of Greens from our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, uh, that's where they come in with Field of Greens, real USDA organic fruits and vegetables complete with antioxidants that boost the immunity, has that antioxidant power, those prebiotics, those probiotics that you're looking for, and it's not loaded with sugar and it tastes great as well. You just mix it with any water-based drink and that's your serving that you're looking for for real fruits and vegetables, those whole foods missing from too many American diets. If you want to try this, go to Brickhouse steve.com brickhousesteve.com use my name steve as a promo code and get 15% off of your first order at brickhousesteve.com we'll come back three non-political questions next right here live and on demand on the blaze Hey, have you seen what's been going on with gold lately? Prices are finally starting to reflect today's crazy financial world. If you've been thinking about buying gold, you're in good company. People own own gold for many good reasons. For example, central banks, governments, investors, big and small, are running to gold for protection against a falling dollar and out-of-control government spending, not to mention just you know good old-fashioned profit. Call Swiss America today if you want to get in on the action. 800-289-2646. 800-289-2646, which spells 1-800-BUY-COIN for the timeless truth about gold. Now is the time to take action before gold prices hit new highs and you lose out on the opportunity costs there. All right, discover what the experts are saying about gold. 1-800-289-2646 is the number to Swiss America or visit their website, SwissAmerica.com. And now we take a break from the decline and fall of Western civilization for this week's edition of Three Non-Political Questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, because every day I bring to the table at the top of the show depression. And so it's my opportunity to uh, give back a little bit or not, depending on the, you know, the, depending on the quality of the questions you're about to hear. First question In is... In other words, lower your expectations. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, what are the top two fictional maladies, sicknesses? I, I thought of this question with you in mind, Steve. Not that your malady was, sick, uh, was fictional yesterday. 
Um, my my the my uh, uh, the plumbing at my house would agree. It was not fictional yesterday. Uh, yes. Understood. Yeah. Uh, what are the top two fictional maladies, either from TV, uh, books, uh, yeah, you know, film, television, all of those media things? What two fictional maladies would you least like to be stricken with? Wow. Well, I mean, I, we're we're now we're we're gonna we're we're so negative now that we're gonna talk about fictional plagues. It's like in uh, grumpy old men when they used to argue about who suffers more with yes. their gout or whatever they've got. Yes. Hey guys, it's not like I just set up this segment saying that I'm trying to bring up the mood on the program. Come on, come on. Um. Wow. You I have, have one off the top of my head. That. Okay. The stone people thing from Game of Thrones, where if you touch one another, you be, you you got this kind of it was kind of a version of leprosy, but you 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 over time turned into stone. It was it was bad. Okay, that was really bad. All right, that's cool. Um, I'll do anything that creates a zombie. Okay, I don't want anything to do with that whatsoever. Yeah. And I'm kind of zombied out. Are you guys zombied out? Like I've been I like never, on a zombie content like strike years for two ago. years. I, yeah, I, I never been, got into the. I've been. I, I'm just. I, I'm zombied out, man. Just totally zombied out. If if you put a zombie in a, in a show movie, I'm tapping out. Okay, totally tapping out. So I'm gonna go with um, anything that uh, that uh, creates uh, zombification. And see, I got one. I'll I'll go next. I'll let you. you what is the it. reason for this question? Uh, because these answers have been interesting so far. I I don't know why. I don't know why every single question I ask. What's the reason for this? Why does there have to be a reason? It's this is supposed to be a fun part of the show. Because we're not millennials. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now we're going back to the millennial card. I see where this is going. This is really cool. Um, no, I've. Well, I mean, I guess part of this is I've been I've been watching uh, binge watching Lost uh, again. Okay. Yeah. You know, when Desmond Hume leaves the island for the first time and he starts to, his conscious starts to snap back to eight years ago and then back to the future sure. and then back. Yeah. That would be a malady I would not want to have uh, at all. Uh, you know, his, and then his nose starts to bleed. That would be not, that would be not good whatsoever. And then anything in the Harry Potter world that requires uh, Skelligro, oh, I'm sorry, disclaimer, I'm going to be talking about my idol here for a little bit. Anything in the Harry Potter world that requires the use of Skelligro, where you have to grow your bones back, uh, I would not like anything like that. How about anything, uh, uh, any malady from vampirism? How's that? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Todd, you got another one? Or are you tapping out? But being a vampire? No, from vamp, not like you got bit or something. Yeah. How's that? Yeah. I think we've... Uh, Bitten by a werewolf, that would be bad too. I think we've covered it all. Thankfully, these things are all fictional, so none of them will ever happen. Yeah. So there's that part yeah. of it. So. Uh, question yeah. two. What are the best and worst games in any sport you've watched from start to finish? So I need two examples. What's the best game you've watched from start to finish? Worst game you've watched from start to finish? Oh, wow. In all of history? Uh, just in whatever all, pops in, into your head. I guess, you know, for, I mean, I was eight years old, but I'm going to go with um, Miracle on Ice. 1980 U.S. Olympic team over the Russians, which actually was in the semifinals. That was not the gold medal game. They do you believe a miracle game. They actually had to beat Finland, I think it was, for the gold medal in the next round. So I'm going to go with that. Um, 
because there's there's so many others I could pick. I mean, I, very first college basketball game I ever watched, I was 10 years old, was the national championship game at the pit in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Guy Lewis chewing on the towel for Houston with five slam jamma, Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon against uh, NC State and Jim Valvano. And that's where they uh, they throw up the shot at the end of the game. Uh, and Lorenzo Charles rebounds it in the air and dunks it in. And NC State pulls off that huge upset. I mean, that's how I got hooked on college basketball. And that's the first game you ever watched. You're kind of like, well, this is what this thing's about. I'm totally in on this. I mean, that's one of the greatest college basketball games of all time. But uh, the Super Bowl, uh, the Patriots and the Rams, uh, the one after 9-11 where you two did the halftime show, played the, where the streets have no name. I might actually go with that. Um, the pregame show where Fox had every all the former presidents and dignitaries reading that was the first, they've done it several times since then. That was the first time they did it where they had them reading the Declaration of Independence in the pregame opening. The Patriots were the first team to defy um, individual introductions and they came out as a team. Now everybody does that every year, but it didn't used to work that way. The introductions would take like a half an hour while everybody got introduced individually. The Patriots came out as one team. The Rams were the greatest show on turf. Um, uh, and then, you know, they win that game with the last second field goal. That was kind of, Tom Brady's here I am world moment was leading that drive. Uh, you still had Summer All and Madden together on the call. The halftime show with you two playing where the streets have no name and they're scrolling the names of the deceased from the 3,000 people that died on 9-11. Um, those would be the two that probably, that and the Lake Placid game would be my best ever. My worst uh, last year's Michigan-Ohio State game. The absolute worst experience I've ever had. Did, um, did given, you watch that start to finish? No, that, that tells you that tells you something. I mean, I I I I checked out. I I knew I was going to say some things that are getting me fired, and you guys out of, out of a job. I ch- had to check out. No one. I went and saw Creed. I left the middle of the third quarter. Given what was at stake, how much hype this was. I, I mean, I I've been through far more excruciating losses. But in terms of just something that was just emasculating as a fan to watch, that game last year was the absolute worst I can remember. It might have been worth losing my job to see that meltdown. It might have been. <laughs> I might have lost other things like custody of my kids. <laughs> okay. Your turn. Uh, best, I think... I just because I remember the buddies I was with, I remember where I was watching. I, some, uh, but it, uh, and I think this would be, isn't it the Kentucky Duke regional final 1991? 1992. Two. Yep. It's two. Yep. Okay. Grand uh, Hill to Christian Leitner, right? That's what you're uh, yeah, beating yeah. Duke beating Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, and, but, you know, before that, the shot by Sean Woods, the crazy layup that, I mean, it right. was, uh, that was out of control. Uh, fantastic game. Um, the wor- and so this doesn't have to be when you say the worst game I've ever watched start to finish. Yep. It doesn't have to be personal to be like Steve, right? No, because no. I because I watched this game just for for pure Schadenfreude. It was uh, Stanford woodshedding Iowa there in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that's I why was, you, I was going to pick that one. Uh, There's a Wisconsin yeah. fan. I just there I, he is. I mm-hmm. watched every second of that game. It's not enough yeah. for him that his team to just punk you guys every time you're about to do something significant. 
Now he's got to rub it in when you're not even pl- when he's not and even playing. What's really funny is that uh, if Wisconsin tanks this year and Iowa goes to the Rose Bowl, uh, or uh, vice versa, if Iowa tanks and Wisconsin goes to the Rose, Rose Bowl and gets steamrolled by Washington, forty-five to nothing or something like that, if I start, you know, oh, stupid Iowa, and that's that's what's going to happen if I start doing the same thing, Todd. It's did. a beautiful but dance. Thank really, you for asking the question. It really is. I'm I'm really I'm really fighting hard against recency bias here, or maybe I'm not. I was thinking about the Iowa-Stanford game, but for Stanford, that was really good. Um, you know, at least if you were a Stanford fan. I, both of these happened in the last year in the NFL. One, my Chiefs lost, and they just won uh, some SB or something last night. The, the game against the Rams, just from start to finish, that game was just exciting. It was just Oh, the Monday night watch. game they the played. Yeah. Highest-scoring NFL game yeah. of all time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just from yeah. start to finish for both teams. It was exciting. It was interesting. Uh, I kept getting notifications on my watch that my heart rate was too high. It was it was really cool. The worst game was the Super Bowl from for both teams. It was just a drudgery. It was just a drudgery to watch. It was terrible. Worst. And again, I'm I'm trying not to succumb to recency bias here, but I just cannot think of any uh, better examples than that. I mean, you could find... You're 26 any, years old. You can't avoid recency bias, Aaron. Um, yeah. I mean, to some extent, yeah, that's true. I, any any game when Virginia had really good defenses in college basketball the last few years, some of those games were, were bad. Uh, final question. What's the most valuable and vapid pieces of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self right now? Uh, the most valuable advice I would give... Um, wow. Here, here, here's the thing. I made tons of mistakes at around that age, but I, I don't know that I'd give myself the advice to undo them because they're a major reason I, you know, I'm where I'm at today. I have the life I have today. I have the career I have today. And all things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. So um, I, I guess here's the advice. I'd, I'll go with this then. Get TiVo as soon as you possibly can because it'll make you a much better parent. I discovered this not until a few years after our firstborn, Anna was, a, was born. Should have had it ready. The ability to just, I don't have to catch the games I want to watch, just watch them whenever I want. So I can still, you know, took me about, Anna was about seven or eight years old before I kind of figured that, or six, seven years old before I kind of figured that out. So that's one piece of advice. I'll go with that. Okay. Might also be the most vapid at the exact same time. Yeah, I thought, yeah, that's where that was going. But the reality is, I don't know if I, if I avoid the significant mistakes I made at that point in my life, I don't know that, you know, things turn out. The way I had to learn some of those yeah. very harsh lessons, so I'm a little hesitant about uh, messing with the timeline here, uh, if you will. Does that make sense? I do. Okay, your it. thoughts. Uh, I would. Th- I think. You know, you, I want to try to come up with something that is at least remotely unique. I, I would say, like, w- try to hammer home. You don't. Don't forget the fact. If if you want to be a husband and a father someday, and I did. Uh, that, what decision are you making right now that reflects that? Um, I, I would try to make sure that I understood uh, that better. Because while I absolutely agree with Steve's assessment, 
uh, uh, there's other things that I could have done that I don't think are timeline changers, but I think I would not have had to work so hard to overcome later uh, uh, in various ways, shapes, and forms. Uh, in, and it's not just a consequence that you bear in your soul, but those you love bear in some way uh, as well. The most vapid uh, that I could have possibly offered is uh, like, um, you know, something like, um, you know, you believe in the power of your dreams or some crap. You know, like th this is what? Yeah, vapid. Why would I that's believe what, in the power of your dreams? Yeah, like I would not. That's the point. I'm, something I absolutely would not tell them now. Ah. That's what. Uh, go that find your, yourself or something yeah. like that along those lines. Like, okay. let me give you, I'll give you another piece of advice. So that was I, that was the late 90s when I was 25, 1998 specifically. And that's when Amy's grandfather still had the same season tickets at Michigan games that he had for decades. And every year we would get, because we lived out of state and the family would split them up because he got older, he can only go to one or two games a year. And so the family would split them up and then we'd get one of the first dibs because we were coming in from out of state, you know. And that year um, I picked the Syracuse game and Donovan McNabb ran over around and through us. It was over at the half. I'd go back to my 25 year old self and say, Hey, at the end of the year, that year, Michigan's going to blow out Penn state and Wisconsin at home back to back weeks. Pick one of those games instead. I'd have picked one of those. That's that's sound advice. You think uh, I was 25 that's cash money, homie. Yeah. I was 25 years <laughs> 25 years ago, or 25 years old was like 20 years ago for you guys, right? Yeah. 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 It was a year ago for me. Just, just saying. Uh, so it makes a little bit, a little bit more complicated. I was, I would say though. Uh, what advice would you give yourself last year? Yeah. Well, there was actually a, a period of time last summer, to the end of last summer, and it really went through the fall. I was just tired, just on a number of levels. And uh, I probably would have told myself a little bit sooner, you don't have to say yes to everything you know that people ask you to do that uh you know out, i mean this job is always is always fun i'm not referring to that but outside of work you don't have to say yes to every you don't have to do everything you don't have to be everything to so i would probably say just it's okay to slow down a little bit uh sometimes uh so that that would be one serious piece of advice maybe the other one even though i kind of like her now um is uh say no to uh getting a puppy uh, my roommate getting a puppy. I, that's something I probably should have said. I, that's probably something I should have said no to. You hate puppies now too? Um, no, no, no. Uh, most vapid, uh, most vapid piece of advice I would say: discover the uh, loaded baked potato salad at Costco sooner. That you are be. you. That is your jam, man. I'm gonna get a oh, T-shirt. You, so you are you are the Megan Rapino of, actually, of you know, loaded potato salad at, Ron at Costco. Ron Swanson has a p picture of breakfast um, uh, framed on his wall in his office. I'm gonna get a picture of that framed and put up there. So that's what you meant by vapid, like cool, but just basically useless Worthless. and irrelevant. Yeah. I thought you meant like yeah, that would, advice. I, you I should... gave myself great vapid advice. Pick yes. another game from the 1998 schedule. Don't go to the Syracuse game. No, we got, we got drilled. I got it. Okay, that, that, that wasn't a game. It was a Russian gulag uh, excavation. We got absolutely, and it was 179 degrees, and I weighed about 400 pounds huh. at that point. Pick another game, all right? Well, then the most vapid advice I would give is like, uh, trust me, uh, Star Wars uh, is going to suck movie after movie. When it comes out next year, forward. when Phantom yeah, Menace comes yeah. out next year, lower your expectations. Yes. Young man, let me tell you about uh, what, about this uh, fellow Jar Jar Banks that you're about to encounter, <laughs> right? 
how did this happen? But there's there's now red Sith troopers now, so they're really getting creative, Steve. That's I don't know. I thought that picture was pretty sweet, actually. We're just changing sweet. colors now. This is the creative mind of J.J. Abrams. I kind of thought it was a mold of the Crimson Guard and Stormtroopers. I, just, I, 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 I thought it was pretty tight. I liked it. It looks cool, but it's that's. What do you want? Rainbow Troopers? A story? Don't hold yeah, on. Don't, dumb. don't say that out loud, Stephen. What are you doing? I'm sorry, America. It's your fault. I, it's my fault. Yeah. I, I spoke that out into the ethereal. That comes out. Wait, when's that? Is it next summer or is it December? December. This coming December. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. we're going to be talking about it more. Yeah. Might as well just prepare people. Headline from the Babylon Bee just a few minutes ago. Megan Rapino says she is totally willing to have an open conversation with a perfect genetic and ideological clone of herself. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Matt Walsh over at the Daily Wire. The women's soccer team may be the most unlikable winning sports team in modern American history. I think they finally unseated the 2007 New England Patriots. I guess they really can beat the men. There you go. They write themselves. They do. We'll come back. Hour number two, some Theology Thursday. A little double-barreled action on that front for you as we uh, return. Live and on demand on The Blaze here in just a moment. Stay tuned. And we're back with hour number two, live and on demand here on the Blaze Radio TV and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. I know many of you feel frustrated and powerless watching the news and following politics here at the moment. Uh, most of what apparently we are, uh, we're surrounded by, uh, we're given the inclination that we're the only people who think this way. Um, you, you can't even unite uh, around the United States women's soccer team dominating the rest of the world because that now has to has turned been turned into essentially a, a pagan evangelistic tool. Um, and you're wondering, other than voting, and let's face it, most of them you're just voting in self-defense. You don't even trust the people you're voting for to follow through on their promises. You're just trying to slow down, uh, you know, the uh, the the horde coming over the the Visigoths coming over the wall. Uh, you ask yourself, what can you do? Well, you can start. When the options available uh, by supporting companies that believe in the same values that you believe in, which is why you want to make the switch to paper, Patriot Mobile. In 2013, a group of conservatives got fed up watching their mobile phone bills going to the left, and that's why they created Patriot Mobile. Since 2015, they've used their profits to raise over $2 million for conservative causes and values that you support, and that's why they need your support now. You can get the same nationwide service with a portion of your bill going to the things you believe in, and with plans unlimited plans even starting as low as $25 a month you can save money while you're standing up for your values at the same time right now Patriot Mobile is offering a free month of service on all new lines that's a free month of service on all new lines switching is easy if you want to give it a shot go to patriotmobile.com slash blaze that's patriotmobile.com slash blaze well if you're new to the show um, and I've kind of talked, uh, maybe you've missed as I've talked about you know, my background and, and how did I start out? Um, a guy that, um, you know, uh, was trying to, uh, emulate, uh, Jim Rome and a lot of that kind of edgy guy talk. 
uh, and I worked in daily sports talk radio. How did I get from there when I started doing this to I live in the suburbs, we've homeschooled our kids, um, and and now I'm considered um, you know one of those dreaded outspoken evangelicals. I did not. Uh, I mean, I met my wife in a uh, a hookup chat room on the old dial-up AOL. All right, so before there was Tinder, there was hookup chat rooms on dial-up AOL. All the same hooking up. It just took a lot longer with the slower connections. All right, so how did we end up here now? That I'm doing a show about this stuff in the middle with segments called theology Thursday. My wife is in the middle of getting her second master's degree through Liberty right now for biblical counseling. This was not, this was not the plan we had in mind when we met in that AOL hookup chat room. Um, someone else had a plan. And part of that plan one day was for me to be at Kemper arena in Kansas city on September 18th, 2003. And to hear a speaker at an event called Promise Keepers by the name of Joe White. And I'm at, I'm at this event and I'm watching these guys, you know, singing and stuff when the music plays beforehand. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not doing this. This is a total freak show. Very first speaker comes out. It's a guy named Joe White. By the time he's done, I am a sobbing mess. Next thing I know, I'm answering an altar call, like really like almost like a parody, except it's real. And um, since that day, my wife would tell you, she's on her second husband. It just so happens that uh, he had the same name both times. And a lot of the things, a lot of, a lot of the boxes we check now go back to that day. And I wanted to set, uh, set that up for our guest here today, Ken Harrison, is with that exact same Promise Keepers organization. He's with us here now uh, on Blaze Radio TV and podcast. He's also got uh, a new book out, uh, which is going to address a subject that we talk a lot about on this show. It's called Rise of the Servant Kings, What the Bible Says About Being a Man. And Ken, it's a pleasure to have you with us today here on the program. God bless you, man. How are you? Thanks, Steve. I'm great. So tell us, you've got an interesting background, first and foremost. Tell us a little bit about that. I started off life as a Los Angeles policeman. Uh, my dad had been an L.A. cop before me. He was shot in the Watts riots hmm. and retired uh, us up to Portland, Oregon when I was a young boy. And he got saved at an altar call. Uh, luckily, God wasn't an- interested in his plans either. And uh, so then I followed in his footsteps to 21, became an L.A. cop. And after all the Rodney King fallout and whatnot, I left and got into business and ended up running a, a second largest um, commercial real estate firm in the world, the valuation portion of it globally. And now I'm here. What is it about working for the LAPD that turns you guys into like apologists and evangelists? Isn't Jay Warner Wallace of Cold Case Christianity? Didn't he used to work cold cases for the LAPD? I think that's his bio. And he left that behind. And now you used to work for the LAPD. That city of angels must be hell on earth. You guys get a good look at, at, at what East of Eden looks like over there working for the LAPD. And you're like, man, I got to get into, I got to get thee to a nunnery, right? That's kind of what happens <laughs> to you guys, right? It's true. Plus it's the best department in the world with the best training in the world. And a little known fact, Gene Roddenberry, he created Star, uh, Star Trek was an LA cop as well. He was too. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, he did a different kind of more uh, utopian progressive uh, evangelism, theology, but he was yeah, really yeah. good at it. Yeah, different theology. Yeah. All right, so what is it? Let's start with the title of the book. What is a servant king? Why why go with that title? What's it mean? God's called men to be kings, uh, leaders in our own sphere, and not rulers, but leaders. And for a married man, that means he's responsible for the, his family, for his wife, for his kids, for teaching them scripture, uh, for the unity of his family. And for a single man, it means understanding that you're the leader in your space. You're the one who's responsible for changing the things that need to be changed. Men created, God created men for action, not reaction. But we're leaders as servants. Uh, Ephesians 5.25 says, for men to love his wife, like Christ loved the church, and Christ gave his life for the church. And so that is the type of leaders that we're supposed to be. You are. You drew a distinction there. I've talked a lot about on my show over the years that one of the reasons I think we struggle with terms like headship and submission in this culture is that a lot of men, and I grew up in a house like this. You know, I, I grew up in a house with uh, a, an abusive stepfather. He used to tell me all the time growing up, you won't love me, but you'll respect me, as if... Those mm. things are mutually exclusive. Really, what he meant was, you'll fear me. That, mm. what, and I, it took me years to realize what he really means. He's he's conflating respect with fear because I fear him lashing out at me, either verbally or physically. I do what he says, therefore I respect him. I mean, that's that, that's the, that's what a tyrant behaves. That's how a tyrant behaves. That's not necessarily sure. leadership. But a lot of men have conflated um, authority with responsibility. Those two terms. And so they, they view the notion that if I'm the head of the, to- of the home, that means I'm the authority. No, mm-hmm. God is the authority. Mm-hmm. You are submitting to God, all right? And your family is submitting to God through you. So there's, there's a difference between authority where I just give um, orders, orders, dictates. I make things happen because I'm the loudest, biggest, strongest person in the home. Until I'm not. And then I've got a son one day who goes through puberty and now he's like, maybe you're not as big and strong old man as you used to be, right? right. All right. So there's there's authority, but then there and or there's responsibility, which means if if this thing goes to pot around here, when the master returns to collect his debts, he's gonna hold he, I, I'm, he's gonna hold me to account first. The distinction between those two things are vitally important, aren't they, Ken? Yeah. Two things. We've lost the fact that Christians will be judged. It says in Second Corinthians five ten we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for the deeds done in the body, whether, whether good or worthless. That's talking to Christians. And, and Jesus goes in in Matthew, the very end of Matthew 24, Matthew 25, quite a few parables about the fact that we will be judged based on what we did with what he gave us. And like so many great things, Satan conflates um, what Scripture says. And so we know in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, by grace you're saved through faith. That's why you came to know Christ, because you were rebellious, but you saw, man, this is a... Uh, free grace, not dependent on my own goodness. But Ephesians 2.10 follows up and says that we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has a plan for every man and woman listening to this right now that he put down before the foundations of the earth that they would succeed if they follow him after they're saved. So their salvation isn't contingent on works, but they will be judged based on what they did after they were saved. That's an important truth that we've lost in the church. In other words, what what did you do with what with God what gave, gave you? you? In other words, yeah. uh, or another, it's, uh, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, right, Uncle Ben? That's right. <laughs> um, when you talk about you'll have success, I want to make sure we don't distort that terminology either, because while if you would have gone back into my life 
um, 16 years ago when I was converted and would have flash forward that I would have ended up where I'm at on one of the largest media platforms in the country doing what I'm doing. The idea though, that, um, I didn't have trials, tribulations, failures. I didn't, I didn't make massive mistakes that could have cost me from getting to where I'm ultimately at. Cause you know, a lot of people tune into whatever in the Sam Hill is called Christian television on those channels at the end of my direct TV channel lineup. And, you know, like every seventh show is actual orthodoxy. And the other six are, you know, you're supposed to have six-pack abs, uh, a fat wallet, a big bank account, right? No debt. Um, you're supposed to be skinny, right? And I think a lot of people come to the faith with this expectation level that they're not going to, that the hardships of this world, they'll be immune to them. And that's success is not necessarily defined in, in the way that the world defines it, meaning you might have direction, purpose, meaning to your life. Um, you might have fulfillment that you lack, regardless of what your current socioeconomic status is. And I think for men in particular, since we are so utilitarian by nature and view things by a bottom line, what's the game? How do I win? Who's keeping score? How, you know, um, those sorts of things. I think this is an important understanding that you're not going to avoid suffering and trials because of your faith. In fact, you, you might be confronted with even more of them, Ken. There's a lot you just said there. Um, we were promised by Jesus that if we followed him, a couple things that happened, we would have great joy in knowing him. We'd have great power and we'd have great pain. Jesus teaches us through pain. We learn wisdom through pain. We're told over and over again, if we're doing the Christian life right, the world will hate us. How many, you know, I, I often say, you know, they say you can judge a man by his friends. I say it's more accurate to judge a man by his enemies. Mm. How many enemies do you have? Who hates you? That we're, we're murdering a million babies a year in this country, premeditated murder. Are you standing up for those, uh, those children? Are you standing up for the poor and the oppressed? Are you standing up for justice? The very things that you talk about all the time, Steve. If you do that, look at what, what the godless will do to people who truly follow the Lord. So um, the idea, and this is what we're getting from a, in a fatherless society, because dads, one of the things they teach their sons is that being a man's not easy. You know, you, you fell down and you cut yourself. Mom says, that's terrible. Let's rub something on. It's okay. And dad says, get up, rub some dirt on it and keep going. Mm -hmm. And you need both those things in your life. And we've kind of fallen into our society, this idea that Life is supposed to be easy. And if it's not easy, then something's wrong. Jesus said the opposite. It's going to be a hard life, but you'll be filled with great joy and great power if you're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ and you die daily to your rights to yourself in Matthew 5 through 7. The old Winston Churchill line, you have enemies, good. That means you stood for something uh, in your mm -hmm. life. You're kind of uh, you're kind of channeling that there. Let, let, let me give our audience a practical, at least what I hope anyway, is a practical example of, of of what you just said. So my son, um, and, and I really have gone out of my way not to force him to like the things I like because I have a, the kind of personality where you will do things because the old man likes them, but not because you do. And then after you're old enough that you think I don't need the old man's approval, you kind of rebel and go the other way. I kind of want him to be his mm. own man. Right. You know? Mm. And so, um, you know, I'm a football fanatic, but I didn't force him to sit and watch games and stuff with me. And then about age six or seven, he's like, you know what? I kind of want to see what you're into. And he started getting into it too. Okay. And last year he wanted to skip his last year of flag football before he went into school. And he wanted to get a, a, a taste of, of, of tackle football. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. 
And mom's like, eh, um, you know, he was born, he, he had to spend his first two weeks of his life in the NICU. He fit into the palm of my hand when he was born. He's just now mm. catching up in size to the other kids his age. And mom was like, you know, I'd really appreciate it if we gave it another year in flag football. And, and I said, I said, okay. All right. And Noah was really disappointed that he didn't get to play and, and, uh, and kind of went, you know, it took him a while to get excited about playing flag football again. Now he's going into junior high and now we're going to, now he's like, he went so a year ago at this time, he was crushed when his mom requested that he wait one more year to play tackle football. And now that he's going into junior high, he's like, I don't know, you know, I'm kind of afraid of what if I get hurt? I don't know if I should play tackle football. And I'm like, and that's exactly why you're going to do it. Okay. And it, you know what? You may find after the first year, you don't like football anymore. You've outgrown it. You know, you don't have to sit here. I'm not, I don't need to live vicariously through you. I got a pretty good life. Good for you. All right. But this, this first year, that's the, that's not the right reason to not go and play football. Okay. So a year ago at this time, you were crushed that you didn't want to play. Or, or that you couldn't play that, you know, mom, mom was too worried about you getting hurt. And now that you've grown a whole other year and now you're kind of like, eh, you know, like, no, we're not doing, we're not, we cannot be fear-based creatures as men. All right. So this, this is going to be one of the rare times I've, I said, Noah, in your life, I'm going to put my thumb on the scale and say, you are going to do something you don't believe you want to do. And I'm going to make you do it. And then after when the season is over, you're like, I don't like it anymore. I've outgrown it. Football is not for me. Cool. But we can't constantly just avoid situations that we think are uncomfortable, hard, difficult. I can't do. I'm not ready for. Otherwise, you'll never be ready for them. Is that kind of what you're talking about a little bit? Exactly right. A good leader creates space for people to be who they are in their own skill set. And sometimes, and rarely, hopefully, a good leader creates or has to create certain standards. So I remember when my daughter was a freshman at Liberty University and I told her, well, when you go, you have to get a GPA of a 3.3 to stay there. She called me about three weeks left in her first semester and said, dad, I I have a problem. I'm going to get a 2.9, not a 3.3. And I said, well, then you'll come home and you'll go to junior college and you won't go back. But dad, God really wants me to be at Liberty. And I said, well, then baby, God's going to be really disappointed because you knew that you needed a 3.3. So go to every professor, find out exactly what you need to do to get the next grade up and, and how you're going to handle that. And you work really hard. She ended up getting a 3.7. She ended up graduating with honors and got a full ride to get her master's degree at Liberty. Sometimes a father needs to lay down standards for his kids. And sometimes there's a little bit of tough love. But most of the time, it is creating space for your kids to be who they are, where they are. And again, we've lost that too. Too many dads telling their kids, oh, well, you know, Johnny's going to play in the NFL. No, Johnny is nowhere near fast enough mm-hmm. to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you as a dad got to just tell your kid, I love you, but maybe wrestling is your sport or, or gymnastics or something else or lacrosse. But, but um, sometimes there's tough love, but hopefully really rarely. Hopefully what we do is we, we really build up our families. And not not authoritarian, but in a servant love of our kids. And sometimes servant love means risking conflict in the relationship to give truth. It's not always easy. That last part there, risking conflict in the relationship. Mm. There's a lack, there's a lot of what I call boys who can shave. We got a lot of males in this culture, not a lot of men. And one of the core differences, to me, there's two differences, Ken, between a male and a man that a man will accept responsibility for his actions and his failures and own them and try to do better or make up for them and will risk confrontation in a relationship because of the person that he, because the person he cares about 
um, yes. is more valuable to him than his own particular comfort level. Males won't do those two things. And this kind of goes to the lost art of masculinity in our culture. What is masculinity? What is it? You nailed it. Accountability is the beginning of masculinity. And let's also, and I know a lot of people, this, this whole thing about white privilege and toxic masculinity. These are the two things that Satan's using to divide the church, divide people, divide families. Toxic masculinity is not a thing. Masculinity is all the positive things about being a man. So what toxic masculinity is, is what you just described. It's a boy in a hairy body. Um, when we are children, when we're one year old, we have zero empathy for what's going on around us. We, we don't know that mom just got done working hard, making dinner. She finally got to bed. My tummy aches. I'm going to scream until mom gets up and gives me what I want. As we mature and we gain wisdom, when we learn how to be leaders and we pay attention to the world around us and we're cognizant and empathetic, that is empathy, you know what, what Truman said, walk around the other man's shoes for a while. Mm -hmm. So we understand toxic masculinity is simply a man who's narcissistic and obsessed with self. There's nothing masculine about that man at all. We cannot let the godless continue to redefine terms and words for us. We've got to stand up for truth. Um, that is one of the ways they're controlling the conversation is to continue to redefine things. And toxic, toxic masculinity is simply a way to try to make the word masculinity a bad thing. Absolutely not. But we have to make, there, there's two truths about what you just said, two realities, I should say, about the truth you just said. There is, um, you know, the new progressivism is really the old paganism. That's really. right. Absolutely. And, and so there's, there's a push. The, the, the old paganism is making, a, is, is making an aggressive re, um, uh, you know, uh, re-infiltration of Western culture and, and American exceptionalism as we speak right now. So there is that external uh, opponent. We have to recognize that. But internally, by our own actions or inactions, as often is the case, by our own uh, Adamic-like passivity, where Eve is being tempted there by the enemy, and what's Adam doing the whole time? Not a damn thing. Sitting there passively. Yeah, he's just sitting there passively. That's what he's doing. Okay. Well, let's see what happens to her. Yeah, and, and, and then he blames <laughs> it on her later, okay, and then tries and to God, get out of right? it. Okay? The yeah. woman you gave me yes. is your fault. Yeah, we are we are we are feeding the narrative of 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 the of the pagan uprising in the culture by our own inactions and actions in these kinds of situations, aren't we, Ken? We have to be self aware of that. Let me preach for a minute, and it's one of the reasons why guys need to be watching shows like yours. We must be better informed on who we are. But the very foundation of creation is three things. God created males and females in his image. So a, a masculine man and a feminine woman together are the representation of the image of God. Secondly, he created marriage. The male and the female come together as one flesh in marriage. Then thirdly, the result of that is procreation as children. Satan is going after this thing in the reverse order. He went after procreation and abortion. And, and, to, and to your point, it's like in the Bible, when they sacrifice babies to Moloch, it is a wickedness and an evil that we have not fought nearly like we should if we stand up for justice in God's name. So um, he went after abortion, and for 50 years, we did nothing. In 2001, we had the first marriage in the history of the world where a government blessed a same-sex union in the Netherlands. Look how quickly from 2001, we went to complete world acceptance. In fact, you're a horrid person if you don't accept mm -hmm. the destruction of marriage. Then lastly, quickly Satan trans transferred to away from male and female to all this gender nonsense. And so the church must rise up now and declare the truth of God. And the problem is too many men are not being proactive 
because they don't know what to do. They don't know the Bible. They're not going to churches where they're getting taught God's word, and they're not pouring themselves into things to learn. Men must take responsibility for their families, and that means understanding what the truth is. It comes from God's word and only God's word. We change our worldview to meet scripture. We don't change scripture to meet our worldview. Name of the book, Rise of the Servant Kings, what the Bible says about being a man. Ken, how can folks get a copy of the book if they'd like to? They can go on com and get a free study guide with it as well, or, you know, all the usual Amazon and all those as well. com to get a free study guide. <clears throat> Pardon me. Ken Harrison, thank you for joining us, man. God bless you. Appreciate the conversation. Uh, let's do it again sometime. All right, take bless care. you, man. Absolutely. Get some reaction, guys, to what we just heard uh, with Ken Harrison. Todd, let me start with you. Well, I absolutely, I've said it on the show. It's been quite some time, but it, what he said at the end about how uh, Satan working uh, in reverse on his uh, deconstructions of reality, and uh, I think in the future, uh, Theology Thursday, perhaps on you know how that played out and why is it mere coincidence or is there uh, what's the thinking and the planning there? And regarding how a uh, father's duty is uh, to to his children is to not simply take on. Uh, life uh, passively. Uh, man, amen to that. And I just had an experience yesterday that was rewarding for me, humbling for me. And that uh, one of my uh, daughters, my uh, going to be a freshman, uh, she kind of, when she moves up to play club soccer, that's quite a financial investment for the family. Mm-hmm. And she earned it talent wise, but she was kind of taking it on uh, passively after being involved in it for a while, enjoying the social aspect of things, but kind of pulling her punches in her uh, involvement. And in a couple ways, I showed her that is not how this is going to roll, not because you need to be a great soccer player, but you need to own the things you choose to do. When she didn't meet her obligations at home in one circumstance, I, I said she had to sit out for part of a game and I made her explain to her coach and her players why. And some of the parents on the sidelines looked at me like, whoa. I said, no, that's just uh, how we roll. And also I said, you know, if you want to keep doing this, I need to see you own this in a way that you need to own all the choices in your life. And just yesterday, she's now a part of a state all-star team. And amongst uh, they're about to go to a competition here in a couple days in the Twin Cities. And her coach tabbed her uh, and said in front of all her teammates, he said, Tessa, you're going to be the captain of this team in this weekend. And I... I don't care how many goals she scores, but the fact that she is visibly seen now by her peers and her coaches, you own a moment. And I I did my job, Steve, as you said, taking the responsibility that God bestowed on me to not let her waste her life mm-hmm. in ways great and small. And so um, I'm feeling blessed. Yeah, I think the gist of the conversation is uh, <clears throat> the amazing um, monologue or, or talking to you. That Chris Kyle's dad gave him and uh, and his brother uh, about the wolves, sheep, and the sheepdog. That's that's essentially hmm. you know an Americanized version of 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 what we just talked about. The the sheep are the passive ones or the ones who need protecting. Um, the uh, the wolves are the uh, are the uh, toxic masculine the 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 you know uh, hairy people who have people inside of a, a hairy body as. As Ken just said, and then the sheepdogs are the servants. They protect the ones that need protecting, and they, uh, you know, they who are they protecting them from for the, from the wolves? I mean, that's that's kind of a simplified version of what we talked about, without the, you know, without the source or the motivation of of, um, of the wolves, the sheep, and the sheepdogs. But um, the th- this conversation again is so lost. We much like. Um, much like we talked about, 
last last Tuesday, I think it was on Pop Culture Tuesday, with the UFO phenomenon. We are looking everywhere, everywhere except for right in front of us for our salvation. Now, when it comes to masculinity, it seems even the church itself is looking everywhere except for right in front of them mm -hmm. for what that actually <clears throat> means. That means masculinity means we have to grow a beard. We have to like craft beer in some circles. We have to go. We have to go out on. I these can't grow vast, a beard, so I'm out. <laughs> we have to go on these vast hunting trips, on these expensive hunting trips, because that's what real men. Do. I gotta like football. We gotta like football. Yeah. We have to do. We have to check all these boxes of traditional masculinity to make it actually real. No, no, that's not the point. I mean, don't be afraid to do that stuff. Don't be afraid to like those things. Um, but don't just, don't check boxes. That's, that's the, that's the big thing. Uh, I, I think about, um, you know, growing in your masculinity. This is not about box checking. This is about being, being something. And you don't do that by just checking a bunch of boxes and saying, my job is done. We are men. And so at our base nature, we are wired to put things in boxes, uh, literally, you know, uh, metaphorically, of course, we are wired to put things in boxes. And so it's easy. Okay. I uh, made enough money, uh, that I supported my wife and kids. Uh, let's see. I'm not mean. I don't beat my wife. Uh, and I don't yell at my kids. I'm a good, no, no, you're just checking boxes. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, those are things I think that we, um, very easily fall for just because of how we're wired. And those things need to be confronted, especially in the church. I used to love the movie fight club. <clears throat> until I got serious about uh, my faith and <clears throat> man, pardon me. I'm sorry. Until I got serious about my faith. And then, you know, I realized this movie is about a hundred percent, right? 50% of the way. Um, and then the other 50% is, you know, couldn't be more wrong, but it's, it's the, the, the impulse that's correct in the film is what you just described. There's got to be, um, there must be something more for me to do as a man than just check all these boxes, right? And I got an email last night from uh, from one of our listeners, and uh, he found out that uh, him and his wife are about to have twins. And he's like, I don't, I don't know that I'm ready for this. You have any advice for me? I wrote him back and I said, here's my first piece of advice. You're not ready for this. You're not. No man ever has been ready for it. And that's, that's exactly why it's going to be cool and it's and you're going to enjoy it. That's you're not ready for it. That's that's okay. That, that's part of being a man. Doing things and stepping up when you're not ready for it. We'll come back with more theology Thursday here in a moment. Let me ask you a question you've probably been asked before. Do you have a stoplight at your kitchen table to tell you when it's time to stop eating? I'm sure you've never been asked that question before, and no one would, because both the question and the assumption are both kind of weird. Uh, but the good thing is that uh, you do have a bit of a stoplight in your body. Uh, it's a long name, but its abbreviation is OEA. The bad news is, for too many of us, for whatever reason, could be damaged, just we're getting older, 
what have you, for whatever reason, for, for some of us, it just doesn't work as strong as it needs to. And that's where Riduzone comes in. They want to put the OEA back in your body. And that's really all Riduzone is. Not loaded with 75 chemicals. There's only really three ingredients. And the overwhelmingly main one is OEA. It's not a, you know, a stimulant, not loaded with caffeine. This is just about putting that OEA back in your body, which works as a stoplight by uh, sending a signal from the gut to the brain saying, hey, we're full. We can stop eating, kick that metabolism into high gear and let's get going. So if you're wondering, man, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm working out. I'm, I'm trying to eat better, but why am I not seeing the progress I would like? This could be the missing link as to why you've been losing the battle with your bulge. All right. So go to riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com. And if you use my name, Steve, as a promo code, they'll give you a special offer to give it a shot. Riduzone.com. So let's continue uh, with Theology Thursday, and we're going to conclude a series we started several weeks ago. Uh, and this is a series that we did at my home church here in West Des Moines, Iowa. Five dumb things otherwise smart people believe about Christianity, faith, religion in general. Okay, And, and the fifth and final one is something we, it, it's going to follow up on something we just talked to Ken Harrelson from Promise Keepers about. This idea that um, if if I come to faith, if if, um, uh, if I accept Jesus into my life, then you know uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where God knows the plans that He has for me, not to harm me, but to give me a hope and a future, will will instantly come into play, and almost every homeschool kid's graduation cake has that has that life verse. The problem is, you ever read Jeremiah 29, 10, 12, 8? This is in the midst of a spanking. God is delivering some tough love to his people, the Israelites, about why they're being judged. And then just so he doesn't crush them, I mean, he wants to break them of their, of their disobedience, but he doesn't want to crush them. So, so, that, so in the midst of, of breaking them, as to avoid crushing them, he gives them this kernel of hope that there's a reason this is happening to them. And they'll come through it better on the other side, but they're going to come through it, okay? And there is no avoiding it. And it's getting worse and worse for them because they've been spending so long trying to avoid it. Right? That's why they took the guy who wrote those words, Jeremiah, and they you know, kept trying to get rid of him because he wouldn't tell them what they wanted to hear. Wouldn't take their medicine, in other words, right? And this goes to the fifth uh, canard we're going to confront. This idea that everything will be hunky-dory. I'll be rich, wealthy, my marriage will be saved, um, you know, and this will, um, uh, it, it's like voting for Pedro. It can make all your dreams come true, right? That's what a lot of people are being sold by a false teaching slash heresy known as the prosperity gospel, which is prevalent on a lot of the so-called Christian television channels, I mean, even the President of the United States' his own spiritual advisor is one of the false priestesses of this, uh, of this scam. Her name is Paula White. So let's debunk this idea that God is the answer to avoid suffering, as opposed to God provides the means and the strength for us to endure it and to find meaning and purpose in it. Here's part five. Hardship means a wrong turn. <clears throat> There are folks when they're following Jesus and then something happens 
<coughs> excuse me, a hardship of some kind, the situation gets difficult, and what do they say to themselves? I must have made a bad decision. I wasn't listening to God. I'm out of the will of God. God wants me to escape immediately. Well, maybe not. For sure, sometimes our hardships are self-inflicted wounds. We make really bad choices and it has really bad consequences. On the other hand, there's a lot of people that are just walking with Jesus, doing the right thing, and they hit hardships and bad things happen to them. That doesn't mean they've necessarily done something wrong. In fact, it may just mean that they need to persevere. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. I'm going to stay there. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Yeah, there's some opportunities, but man, it is hard. There's a time to exit. There's a time to move along. There's, there, there is, I get it. But there's a lot of times there's a time for persevering. James says it this way, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It may not mean that this is the time to move along. It may mean that God's working and teaching something to you through this circumstance. He's shaping and molding you, and you haven't done anything wrong. In my first pastorate, the first year and a half of that pastorate were brutal. I tried my best to do so many good things, and nothing worked. People left. I mean, there was just, it was just a disaster. I felt like I was, I, the picture I had was I was just putting coins into a pop machine and hitting the buttons and nothing ever came out. I just kept putting more coins in and hitting the button and nothing ever happened. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? I am obviously messed up here. Our district superintendent, who's kind of overseeing the churches, he came and visited me. He preached a message that morning. I have no idea what he said. Don't remember a word of it. But I do remember the five words he told me in the parking lot. His name was Ray Johnston. I said, Ray, things aren't going so well. I must be doing something wrong. Do you have any words of wisdom for me? He says, I do have some words of wisdom for you. I said, what are they, Ray? He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, keep up the good work. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that uh, is uh, Pastor Quinton from uh, our home church here uh, in Des Moines. So this idea that if things are hard, um, the that, that conflict avoidance is is the spirit of your faith. Were you listening to the conversation that Ken Harrelson and I had a little while ago? Conflict avoidance is the spirit of this age. It's how the spirit of this age came to be. Conflict avoidance is why you live east of Eden, and so do I. Because the man of the house failed his very first test, didn't step up to the plate, didn't protect and defend what he was given responsibility for. And then even after the fact, showed no remorse. 
didn't throw himself upon the mercy of his creator at all, but doubled down. He was then passive in seeking forgiveness. Now, conflict avoidance. Conflict avoidance is how you allow a small group of people to take over all your universities that you subsidize, all of your idea and influence sectors that you, that you patronize. And despite the fact that even on their best day, they might represent 15% of the counties in the United States of America, as we learned in the last election, they impose their will on you. And you just take it. I've not said anything about this today because I don't want to jinx it. And I'm going to risk doing that now here at the very end of the show. But what's expected later today is the President of the United States, who I've not been shy over the years sharing my criticisms of, may do something we have wanted an executive to do for years, maybe the entirety of my career. He may defy the courts. Now, I wish it would be on something on a grander scale, but Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, when I started taking my health seriously, I wished I could have lost that 150 pounds in about 30 minutes. Didn't work, doesn't work that way, right? But the larger point is, he may, he may, they've announced they're going to, but I'm, I just, I don't want to jinx it, so I want to wait and see. But he may take the initiative to actually honor his oath of office as opposed to some, I just lifted a butt cheek and squeezed off a court opinion and shoved it down your throat and you're going to like it and tell me it tastes like rose water and chicken. We let these unelected judges do this to us. Our founders would have tarred and feathered one of these judges the first time they tried it let alone put up with a wave of this. This is all conflict avoidance, passivity. Let's say the president goes out there and defies the courts today on the citizenship question on the, on the census. What's going to happen? Courts don't have a standing army. They don't have any police. There's no sergeant of arms to call to arrest the president. Arrest him for what? All the people that hate him will just continue to hate him. Most people will not even be aware that it's happening because they got lives to lead. And the people that love him will still love him. Why was that any different than yesterday or the day before or the day before? And yet we act like, well, we just, this just can't happen. Why? Why can't it happen? Because you don't want it to. I need a better reason than that. We are victims of our own passivity. We are in a grave of our own shoveling. We've dug this grave. Because we're too afraid of the conflict. What conflict? Some aunt you don't already like in your family might say something negative about you on your Facebook on her Facebook page. Who freaking cares? I've I've had people, oh, you're gonna get ratioed on Twitter. I don't even know what that is. I really don't. I don't know what it means. And don't tell me I don't want to know. Because I don't care. 
I don't, I don't, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. Why do we care? Well, you're gonna get ripped on social media. I've asked this question before. When was the last time you were walking in an airport? Someone walked up to you and said, "Hey, I'm part of the Twitter mob." Who the blank cares? Who cares? Who cares? But these are the these are the fears that are proverbial swords of Damocles hanging over our heads as Americans. Why do you care? I mean, that, that, this isn't a license to be a douchebag. One of the, you know, we're the show that always preaches. We don't need to have political conversations and stuff at Christmas and Thanksgiving. I mean, if it comes up, don't shy away from it. But you don't. We, we don't look to pee openly in people's Cheerios. My one of my first radio bosses, Van Harden, gave me some great advice early in my career. Steve, as believers, we're called to sacrifice for the cause. If the situation warrants it. But we don't walk up to Caesar and say, hey, do you mind if I fall on your sword for, for, for you? Okay? We don't have to volunteer, but when the confrontation comes, stand in the gap. Or what? A bunch of people you already don't like, but you just pretend to, still won't? Who cares? People from on Facebook you'll never meet won't like you? Who cares? You'll get banned from Twitter. Well, 81% of Twitter accounts in, are, are outside the U.S. anyway. Where do you live? In the U.S. Who cares? Why do we care? We're paralyzed by fears of these things that have really no power. Well, the courts have spoken. Cool. Where is their army? Who has an army? The politicians you vote for. Right? President's the commander-in-chief and the Congress can declare war. Since your founders gave those two branches the army. The implication there would be what? That's where the real power is at, right? But we act and live in fear of black-robed tyrants, ideologues of a demagogic, demagogish nature. Why? Why? I can't believe what they're going to say about me on CNN. Why do you care? Why? And my hope is, a president who one of his endearing qualities, in my opinion, and frankly, his personality and mine don't mesh really well, so I don't think he has a lot. But one of the endearing qualities about him that most people don't like the most, I like the most, his willingness to violate norms, I'm all in on that. And my hope is that he takes his toe into the water and does it today on the census question, sees that all the same people that already hate and lie about him still do, and all the people who love him still do, nothing's changed. And maybe he gets emboldened to say, you know what? I got some more. I got some, I got some more necks I'm going to step on. I got, I got some more. I've got some more glass to break here in the store. I've, I've got some more bowl in a china shop to show you. Because in the end, we're largely held hostage by a prison of our own imaginations. Get a final thought from Todd and Aaron here in a moment. But if you watched a recent episode of 60 Minutes and you own your own home, be warned the FBI's former head of cybercrimes was on there talking about foreign and domestic thieves that can steal your home and do it all online. It's called home title fraud. Here's why we're vulnerable. Our mortgage notes, our home title deeds are kept online and databases these days that make it easier for us to access. That's great. Also makes it easier for scammers 
to hack into. They then forge their names onto your paperwork. Then they borrow against your home as collateral, liquidating your equity, pocketing the cash, sticking you with the payments, maybe even the foreclosure notice as well. If you don't want this to happen to you, your mortgage lender can't protect you, your bank can't, not even your identity theft protection. But for pennies a day, Home Title Lock will. If you want to learn more, get a free title scan and report. Find out if your home's title has already been targeted or tampered with. It's the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have, their own home. But that's also why it's vulnerable too. Protect it with a free title scan and report and more from HomeTitleLock.com. Register your home for that free title scan and report at HomeTitleLock.com. Gentlemen, you guys get the last word. What do you think? Well, to me, this has a lot to do with what uh, Ken Harrison had to say. Uh, when you say standing in the gap, what that looks like. You know, my wife, uh, she's much different than than me, a, a kind of a passive uh, soul. So conflict does not come really to her. And so when the more we got into our marriage and our life together, she grow, she's grown very comfortable with now how I assert myself. She, and she understands the way it needs to be done. So she's gotten over that frustration. But now her frustration is watching the lemmings react to it mm. and just kind of shrug the show and that's what really drives her nuts so she comes out suffering on that end and so you need to de as a man you need to deal with that and understand that they're not going to react to it the same way it doesn't mean standing in the gap isn't necessary but re be real about how this affects more than just you because you're going to have to be a man in several different ways when it comes to standing in that gap and god knows you know that as it relates relates to what you feel you need to do as a man professionally personally whatever but then how your family may reap the benefits or some of the fallout of that sure absolutely what do you think Karen? yeah i don't i i, I don't anticipate uh whenever marriage comes which i hope it does someday uh i don't anticipate it ever i i just don't expect it to be easy and i i guess there is some comfort in that because when you get your hopes up that and I don't mean that I, I expect it to be rewarding in the same ways that, um, you know, any new challenge, um, you know, comes about. But I don't just expect it to be sunshine and daisies and utopia. Um, that's not again. I, we you have to, I, I believe, I think you have to as a man just be able to be adaptable, be able to take on any challenge that comes upon you. And part of that is understanding that life just isn't going to be sunshine and daisies, or at least the human or temporal uh, definition of sunshine and daisies. Thanks for joining us here today. A little overtime coming your way for our subscribers. For the rest of you, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.